Our sermon passage this morning is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Again, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. And as is usual, we are following directly upon the heels of the passage last week, the passage on fasting. And that focus, not on earthly food, but on the heavenly sustenance that the Lord provides. And so this morning, Jesus turns, and it's in a similar vein of thought that Jesus teaches about laying up treasures in heaven. He teaches us about the proper way uh, to view the world and to view our heavenly treasures. And he teaches us that we may only have one master, and our master will either be God or money or God or what other, what other, uh, other idol uh, we can contrive of. Again, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. This is the word of God. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we cannot escape the fact of how pointed the words of the Lord Jesus Christ are in this passage and how strongly they apply to us and our society and this nation of great wealth in ways that the people in Jesus' day might not have even known. How wonderful it is, O oh Lord, that we can look to words which were spoken almost 2,000 years ago, and yet they continue to speak to our hearts. And it is because, of course, O oh Lord, they are truth. And truth is timeless. And so we pray, dear Lord, that you would teach us and transform us by your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me begin this morning by asking you the, the, the question that is the title of this sermon. Where is your treasure? Where is it? Is it locked up in a safe place here on earth? Do you have it tucked away in a bank or in a safe deposit box? Do you have it in a firebox at home in your closet? Or is your treasure in heaven? Does your treasure consist of those things which are imperishable and will remain undefiled? This is the question that we are confronted with as we look at this passage this morning. And so this morning I would like to give you a biblical example of someone who though he had faith in Christ, still held on to that treasure that he had on earth. And for this example, we go to the Old Testament. In the years following the split of the kingdom, the northern and the southern kingdom, 
Israel and Judah. There were a litany of kings which led those two nations. And if you know anything about this, if you've spent some time reading First and Second Kings, if you've gone through First and Second Chronicles, then you know that the vast majority of these kings in both nations were bad. <laughs> they were evil. They were unfaithful to all that the Lord had taught them. And so the Lord promised again and again, time and time again, that he was going to bring judgment on these kingdoms because of the king's unfaithfulness to what he had commanded. Most of the time, the kings that are mentioned in these lists are noteworthy only for their depravity, only for the ways in which they drive their people, they lead their people into sin. But there are a few who stand out. There are a few, as, as you go through these stories, these annals of the kings, there are a few who stand out as, as worthy kings. And one of those is Hezekiah. He stands out as one of the kings who followed after his father David. And only Josiah, only Josiah stands out in, in a greater uh, way than Hezekiah, as one who follows uh, after David. And he was a few more generations after Hezekiah. Well, 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 3 says, And he did what was right in the eyes of Israel, excuse me, in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. Now, this was a very high compliment that the writer of 2 Kings gives to Hezekiah. He doesn't, he doesn't dole out these compliments very freely. Hezekiah reigned over Judah for 29 years. And he instituted a number of reforms. He tore down the high places which were used for pagan worship. He instituted the proper worship of the God of Israel, the God of Judah. And verse 6 of 2 Kings 18 says this, For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. Hezekiah was faithful to the Lord. And this is very clear from what 2 Kings says. But it must be said that while Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, he also trusted in this great wealth that he had amassed, that had been given to him by his fathers, but that he had built up during his reign. And so you see, if you read a few chapters later in 2 Kings chapter 22, Hezekiah was visited by representatives from Babylon. The, the, uh, Israel and Judah both had been under siege from foreign nations for years and years and years. First it was Assyria, then it was Babylon. Uh, now Babylon uh, emissaries come from Babylon and they visit Hezekiah. And what does Hezekiah do when these members come to him? He takes them through all of his storehouses. He shows them all of his wealth. He shows them every precious thing that he has stored away. Now it's impossible to know what his motives were for doing this. We can't look back. 3,000 years ago, nearly, 2,500 to 3,000 years ago, and understand what his motives were in doing this. But it seems that Hezekiah was prideful of his gold and of his silver. And it's possible that he might have been hoping to impress the Babylonians with his wealth. He might have been hoping to forge some kind of allegiance with them so that they would protect Judah from their foreign enemies. But whatever his motives were, it is very clear that what Hezekiah did was improper. Because immediately in this text, the prophet Isaiah comes to Hezekiah. And he condemns in no uncertain terms what Hezekiah has done. Isaiah, speaking the words of God, is very much against Israel or Judah entering into foreign allegiances. Hezekiah lived out 
what Jesus speaks against in this passage. Jesus says and he teaches to store up treasure in heaven because we can trust in God to preserve it there for us. But Hezekiah, what did he do? He trusted in his own treasure. And he trusted in his own ability to protect it. And so you read, just a few generations later, in 586, the Babylonians, the very ones who had come in and inspected all of his storehouses and seen all that he had, they came and carted everything off and took Judah, the inhabitants of Judah, into exile. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus teaches us a better way to walk according to his commands. And so I would ask you uh, to consider this as we uh, go through these verses this morning. We who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ find our security not in earthly treasures, but in our Father in heaven. We who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ find our security not in our earthly treasures, but in our Father who is in heaven. Well, I've divided this passage up into three sections, sort of uh, uh, diminishing sizes of sections here. The first section is heavenly treasure, verses 19 to 21. The second section is heavenly vision, verses 22 to 23. And the third section is heavenly master, verse 24. Again, heavenly treasure, verses 19 to 21. Heavenly vision, verses 22 to 23. And heavenly master, verse 24. So first, heavenly treasure. Verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Now up to this point in chapter 6, as Jesus has been working his way through in the Sermon on the Mount, we must remember that Jesus is still preaching here. But in this particular chapter, uh, he's been focusing on an inward exercise of religion, hasn't he? We've already discussed at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus talks about uh, giving to the poor. And that it should be, be a private exercise of our faith. And then he talks about prayer. And again, it's a private exercise. It's not to be carried out on the street corners. It's to be done in our closet, privately with the Lord. We're not to do it for the attention that we may receive from the public. And then finally, uh, we looked at the passage last week which talks about fasting. And we're to, do, we're to fast in a way that no one else knows that we're doing it. We're not to exhibit uh, this, uh, this religious act for other people to see. It's for God. It's for uh, our relationship with God to be uh, developed and grown. But in this verse, in verse 19, he turns to the public exercise of religion. And generally when we speak of the public exercise of religion, we speak of what we're doing here this morning. Gathering together for the public worship of God. But I'm speaking in more general terms. The public exercise. Living your faith in Jesus Christ in the world. As believers in Christ, we're called to be Christians in all spheres of life. It's not just a private uh, belief that we have. We're to be Christians uh, privately, but also publicly. And so Jesus now gives us instruction about how we're to behave in a public manner. And so, first in this passage, he deals with wealth and the proper use of wealth. And verse 19 is a little jolt. It reminds us of the truth concerning our possessions. All of those, those things which we love so much, those shiny trinkets, those, those things that we look forward to, that we save up for, <laughs> that we tuck away in secret places. Jesus reminds us that all of these things will fall into pieces or they'll be stolen. Eventually they will return to dust. 
All of our shiny toys will one day break and rust. That all of our money will be taken away from us in one way or another. You can count on that. Death will take it away, or taxes will take it away, or thieves will break in and steal. This is what we have to look forward to in terms of our possessions. So no matter who you are, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, all of our possessions will meet the same end, rust or decay. And so we must remember, like Job, we must keep it in our minds, ever before us, that we came into this world with nothing. And we will leave it in the same way that we came to it. Well, by saying, by Jesus saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus is saying that we should not have any earth, uh, is Jesus saying that we shouldn't have any earthly possessions? Is that what Jesus is saying? Are we all to take a vow of poverty and to cast off any kind of possession? Well, let me say it here and now. Jesus does not condemn private property. If that's the case, then wouldn't he have abolished the Eighth Commandment, which, which forbids us to steal from other people? That inherent in that commandment is the fact that there is such a thing as private property. God blesses us. He blesses all people in this life with the ability to possess things. But we have to keep in mind that ultimately these possessions, wealth, toys, whatever else we have, will pass away. We do not believe, as the kings of Egypt believed, that we can take them with us into the next life. And so the key for believers, for us as we walk, as we make this pilgrimage through this life, the key for us is not to allow these possessions to become a hindrance. We don't want to allow them. We don't want to give them any opportunity to cause us to, to, to hold us back, to delay us, to, to cause us to lose our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We must not see ourselves simply as the sum of all our possessions. What we own does not define who we are. We are defined by who we are in relation to God. That is who we are. All of our earthly possessions can be represented by the keys that we have on our keychain. Look at these keys. House key. Car keys. My parents-in-law's house key. All of these things represent earthly possessions. But what would happen to me, to you, if one day we're out and our house burns to the ground and our car or our cars which sit in our garage are, uh, are burned up in the fire? What happens what will you do if someone breaks into your home and steals all of those things which are most dear to you? How would you handle this? How would you react? But you must ask yourself this question. You may likely be sad, but will it undo you? Will it cause you to lose hope in the Lord? Will it cause you to lose your way on this earth if you lose all of your earthly possessions? Or can you, can you let them go? Can you be sad at their loss, but can you let them go? Because why? Because you know that your possessions, your treasures are not here on earth. They're laid up in heaven for you. You need to remind yourself, I've got to remind myself, that all that we have here on earth is a temporary gift. And that all of these things will be taken from us when we finish our pilgrimage on this earth. Now, in contrast to the temporary treasure that people amass on earth, Jesus says in verse 20 that we should lay up treasure in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Our treasure is safe in heaven because that is where God is. That is the main thing to remember. Our treasure is safe there. Where God is, everything is protected. We just sang this morning, a mighty fortress is our God. That is indeed the truth. And so the treasure that we lay up in heaven can never be taken. It can never rust. It can never be defiled. The moths will not get to it. And if heaven is where our treasure is kept, if heaven is where we place our hope, then we will have a fundamentally different understanding of what treasure is. We will define it differently. We will see it not as shiny objects, which we covet. We'll see it as these intangible things that we can't quite get our hands around. Now, Jesus does not mean for us to see heaven as some sort of big bank in the sky where all of our gold and our favorite possessions will be waiting for us when we arrive. What is this treasure to which Jesus refers? Well, I can imagine uh, the Apostle Peter sitting at the feet of Jesus as this uh, Sermon on the Mount unfolds. And as he discusses, as Jesus discusses these things. And I can imagine the Apostle Peter later on in life as he writes the epistle of 1 Peter, and he remembers back to what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, describes the treasure this way. He describes it as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So first of all, this treasure is an inheritance for us. And you remember, we talked about this over a year ago when we worked our way through 1 Peter. Well, what is this inheritance that Peter talks about? What does he mean? First and foremost, Peter defines it in the very next verse, in verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1, as your salvation. It is your salvation. This is held in heaven for you. Your salvation, your redemption in Christ is being safeguarded for you in an impenetrable vault in heaven. No one can touch it. No one can steal it. Because it, Why? Because it's in God's hands and not in your own. But it, it's not limited just to uh, the, the treasure of salvation. Salvation is it. Yes, it's very important. But, but out of salvation flow a number of other treasures. And I'll just list a few. Answered prayer. The privilege of prayer. That's a treasure, isn't it? That you can come to your Heavenly Father, as we discussed a month or so back and pray to him and know that your prayers will be answered because he is your loving and heavenly father. Also, the enrollment of our names in heaven. We know that our names are written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. We know that the Father loves us. This is a treasure. We know that we have a full share in Christ's peace, in his joy, and his victory over sin and death. We have all these things. These things are tucked away for us. But they're not out of our reach right now. They're a future blessing. But they're a present blessing also. And so we have these things. We possess them. We have peace that passes understanding, don't we? When trouble hits us, when everything uh, is stolen or taken away or burned up in the fire, we can have peace. And the result and the reason we can have peace and the reason that all of these things flow to us is because inseparably linked to our salvation is the treasure of the Holy Spirit who permanently lives 
in the hearts of believers. The Holy Spirit is that greatest of all gifts, which flows out of salvation, which, which accompanies salvation, which, by, which, by whom salvation does not occur. He is indeed a treasure. Now, these are all gifts that we haven't earned. <laughs> they aren't shiny objects to which we can point with selfish pride. We can't take people to our store, storehouses and show them the things that we've accumulated and let them be impressed with our wealth. But they are treasures. And as Peter said, they are, uh, they are imperishable, they are unfading, they are undefiled. They will not decay. And they cannot be taken away from you. Now I think that I have mentioned uh, the first car that I ever owned before, but I'll mention it again. Uh, it was a 1968 Camaro. And I began saving for this car when I was probably 12 or 13 years old. I grew up on a dairy farm. I worked uh, milking cows. Uh, and, and so I started saving up money to buy this car. And so just before I turned 16, my dad and I were looking. We found uh, the car of my dreams. 1968 Camaro. And it wasn't perfect. It had problems, but I loved it. I cherished it. <laughs> when I was away from it, I thought about it. And over the next couple of years, my dad and I, we rebuilt the engine. We had it repainted. But it seemed like the more that I fixed this car up, the more and more worried I became about it. The more I became testy when people got near it and were being careless around it. And so I would park it in a parking lot far away from the entrance to any building and make sure I had a couple of spaces on either side. Well, during my freshman year in college, my Camaro was stolen. And I was certainly sad. I was very upset. But I also had a sense of relief. <laughs> I didn't have to worry about this car anymore. And my parents helped me buy a little junker, a Honda Civic, and, and it got me through the rest of my college days. Well, that car was my treasure. And I experienced what Jesus is talking about in verse 21. Whenever, wherever my Camaro was, my heart was there with it. And my anxieties were there with it too. Now we actually got the car back. It was recovered. But I never went back uh, to that same uh, uh, condition of heart that I had before. If all that is valuable to us, if everything that is valuable to us is laid up in heaven, if that's where our heart is, because that's where our treasure is, then we won't be concerned about the things of the earth. We won't worry about how they're faring in our absence. Our treasure is safe with God, and our hearts will be there too. Well, let's look in, uh, for a few moments at heavenly vision, verses 22 to 23. In these verses, Jesus shifts focus a little uh, to discuss how we look upon the world. And he says in verse 22 that the eye is the lamp of the body. It is the entry point for light into our bodies. And some people have described the eyes as the window to the soul. It's the way in which light, which outside things come in, one of the ways. And Jesus goes on to say in this verse that if our eye is healthy, uh, our body will be full of light. It will, it will let the light in without any hindrance. But if it is bad, he says in verse 22, excuse me, in verse 23, if it is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If there's something that inhibits the light from being able to come in, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
Now, many of you wear glasses. I wear glasses, wear contacts. Many of you wear contacts. Some of you have had laser vision uh, correction. Uh, Poor vision impacts the way we live our lives. It certainly does. (laughs) If you can't see without your glasses, you don't know what time it is when you wake up in the middle of the night. If you don't remember to bring your glasses along with you, you can't see to drive. It makes it difficult to read. And some people uh, have the, 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 the poor fortune of, of not being able to see at all, of losing their vision. Because of vision impairment, we cannot see clearly those whom we love. And perhaps this is the, uh, the biggest problem to impaired vision. But of course, Jesus is speaking here metaphorically, isn't he? He's not talking about your, your physical eyes, is he? And in Scripture, we see uh, that there's an equation between the eye and the heart. And Calvin, in his commentary, will go so far as to say that Jesus is referring to the mind. And in many ways, the heart and the mind are the same thing. In Psalm 119, the psalmist makes this clear. He, he makes these two things, the eye and the heart, almost equivalent. He says in verse 10, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And then in verse 18, he says, Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things of your law. The eye is the entryway, it's the portal into the heart. Jesus is talking about spiritual vision when he talks about the eye. And if you are not redeemed in Christ, your eye is dark. And you're only capable of seeing what is earthly and what will not last. And perhaps that is why these, these shiny things... Uh, gold and silver and the shiny toys that we love so much. Maybe that's why they stand out so much to us because our vision is impaired. And we put our hope in those things rather than in uh, the eternal king. But if you have received salvation through Christ, if you believe in Christ, if you've placed your faith in him, then your spiritual vision has been restored. Your eye is healthy. And you look at things on earth with a heavenly view. You understand things in their right perspective. And this is what Jesus is talking about in verse 22 and 23. He's saying you've got to gain a heavenly perspective as you walk through this life. What do we spend our time focusing on? Do we focus on the passing things of this world? It's very... It's good for us to think about this from time to time. What is our, what is our time spent on? How do we spend our, uh, our idle time? The time when we're not working, maybe the time we're not spending with our family. How do we spend it if we have any? What do we focus on? Do we spend it on the, the passing things of this world? Or do we, like the psalmist, focus and meditate on God's word, which is eternal, which lasts forever, and which is the key to eternal life? Our eyes lead us to what we consider to be treasure. And where our treasure is, there our hearts will also be. Well, Jesus says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And so now we turn and we consider this uh, passage which I've uh, sort of titled, the section which I've titled, Heavenly Master. Now Jesus here is not talking about trying to hold down two different jobs with two different employers. Many of you <laughs> do this. 
And it can be done. But Jesus is not talking about that. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about slavery. And in slavery, you only have one master. The, the word that is used for serve here in this verse, serve, only serve one master, is the same word from which we get the noun slave in the Greek. Well, it is impossible to be the slave of two different owners. And so Jesus is saying that either God owns you, either God owns you, or money owns you. And it depends on where your heart is. If your heart is here on earth, if it is with the earthly things, then money owns you. The things of the world own you. But if your heart is with your treasure in heaven, then you can be certain that God owns you, that he is your, that he is your master, that he is your Lord. And what does Jesus say? He's not a taskmaster, is he? He's not like earthly slave owners. Jesus describes his work as a light burden. He describes his yoke as an easy yoke. He is kind and gentle. He is lowly of heart. He is not a slave driver. He is a loving master who cares for us as his children. Well, Calvin says in his commentary on this passage, he says, Where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. And then he goes on to say that you can substitute uh, anything for the word that Jesus used here for money. You can, uh, you can substitute uh, whatever has become the idol of your heart. Whatever it is, whether it's money, whether it's some sort of possession, whether it's another person, that thing owns you. Whether it's uh, what, one of the many things which we have come now to call addictions, that thing owns you. That is your God. If a person loves anything in his heart other than God, he is its slave and it is his master. And Paul speaks of that kind of person as the enemy of God. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This is what Jesus is talking about right here. But of the believer, Paul says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a contrast here between the two types of people. Jesus and Paul are using language that is exclusive. You either serve God with a capital G, or you serve the God with a lowercase g of your own making. Your citizenship is either in heaven or it is on earth. Now, people may not like it. When Christians use exclusive language, they don't like it when we, when we say these things. But that is the language of Scripture. And we are permitted to use no other. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Any other thing we hope will gain us entry into heaven is an idol. And it will end in our destruction, along with our earthly treasures. Well, it drives people crazy to hear that. It drives people crazy to hear such exclusive terms being used. But all of us, all of us, every person on this earth, every person in this room, must either believe this 
or we must reject it. There is no middle ground. It is not permitted by Scripture. Now, it is impossible to think that Jesus is the only way to the Father while at the same time embracing the validity of all religions. The two are mutually exclusive. But that is what people try to do when they say that Jesus it was a great man and that his teachings were wise and wonderful. But they reject him as the only Savior. But that is also what believers try to do by laying up treasures on earth and in heaven. If our hearts were truly with our treasure on earth, we make our treasure into an idol. And that treasure becomes God to us. And like Hezekiah, many believers are caught in this trap. But thankfully, our Heavenly Father is merciful. And He calls us to struggle and strive against this temptation. And when we do, we know that indeed our treasure is in heaven. Our hope lies with the Lord. Our heart is there with Him. Our Heavenly Father we can be assured, loves us and he will correct us. We may lose our treasures here on earth. We may lose everything we have. If that is what it takes to be free from our enslavement to them. But the one who truly belongs to the Lord can lose everything like Job, but still be able to say, I know that my Redeemer lives. The one who truly places his heart with his treasure in heaven knows this and believes it and trusts it. Where is your treasure? What is your treasure? Is it the stuff that rusts and breaks and gets stolen here on earth? Is that where your heart is? Or is your treasure the great inheritance that awaits you, that awaits all the sons and daughters of God? That awaits you in heaven, which is imperishable and unfading and does not decay, For the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, our treasure is there in heaven with him. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word and for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you do gently correct us and humble us by your word. And we pray, dear Lord, that we all, all of us do this, we lay up treasures with you. We also lay up treasure on earth. And so we ask, Father, that you would help us to let go of those earthly things and trust in you. To receive what you give us on this earth as a blessing, but to remember that it will pass. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.